Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. All right, let me tell you a couple of other cool things. One is that uh, for Easter, we needed a bunch of you to serve because we're doing two services. And so we basically needed to double the amount of volunteers that work. And I just want to tell you, you guys stepped up totally. We don't even need to bring it up this week because you guys are doing it. So thank you. If you're serving next week, thank you so much because really we're inviting in people from our community and that's what we do. And I hope that you'll serve one service and then attend a service and we will have a great time together next week. The other thing I wanted to just tell you, way to go is uh, you took all the baskets for the single moms that we are getting Easter baskets for last week. So we have single moms that go to Golden West College that are getting their education, and uh, a lot of them are hugely challenged. You can imagine the work that it takes to be a student, probably to work, and to be raising a child or children. And a lot of them sort of don't get the Easter thing uh, going with their kids. And so we're helping, and a lot of you are doing it. You're actually going to bring baskets today or I guess on Wednesday. And then we've invited them to come next week for our Easter egg hunt that's in between the services. So, uh, again, great job. Thanks so much. It's who we are as a church. You guys have stepped up. You're awesome. Okay, you don't believe it? You're awesome. Yeah! Woo! All right. Very good. Okay, well, what is this week? It is called Holy Week, right? It's sort of the most famous week in the Christian holiday, you know, the whole year. It's Holy Week. And uh, it's interesting. We're going to talk about a dimension of Holy Week I bet you've never heard about, but was clearly on Jesus' mind as he entered into this last week of his life. And uh, Let me introduce it by giving you the line of a poem that Robert Frost gave called Mending Wall. And the poem starts this way. It says, something there is that doesn't love a wall. He goes on in this poem to explain that every uh, spring after winter, he comes out living in New England, comes out, looks at the wall between he and his neighbor's house, a stone wall, and notices that stones have fallen out, that there's now gaps in the wall, that there's cracks, that you know, stones are sort of lying on the ground around the wall. And he makes this observation that there must be something that doesn't like this wall. And his neighbor comes out and they examine it. And every spring, then they go about mending the wall, putting the wall back together. Well, this guy, one year, looks at the wall and he says, you know, why do we even have this wall up? Why don't we just let the wall fall down? I mean, there's really no reason for us to have a wall between our properties. And what his neighbor says is he says, no, no, good fences make good neighbors. And so they go about putting the wall back up. But at the end of this poem, the guy who looks at the wall says, but something there is that doesn't love a wall and wants it down. And today, we're going to talk about that something, or maybe better put, that someone. And we're going to look at the last week of his life, and we're going to discover that Jesus was extreme when it came to breaking walls down. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Why do we put up walls? What are walls for? Protection. What else? Privacy. Boundaries. Division. 
Separation to keep people out and to keep people in, right? Okay? So that's what walls are for. And uh, I think you'd all agree with me that all walls are not physical, right? I mean, we have all kinds of ways of building walls between people. What are some of the ways that we build walls? Okay, we put distance between us and other people. What else? Think about it. Silence? Absolutely. Avoidance? What do we build walls sort of around? Why, we, why do we build walls? What, what reason would we have to put walls up? Fear? Protection? Anger? Comfort? People that aren't like us, maybe? You know, it's an interesting thing when you think about walls, and I think about walls that I've put in my life, I know that there's all kinds of reasons that I put up walls. Uh, in fact, you know where I learned to put up walls? It was in junior high. And uh, in junior high is where I learned that there were groups that I wanted to be part of and groups I didn't want to be part of. And we formed what is called cliques. And I learned really well how to build walls. I made it really clear who I wanted to be around and people that I didn't want to be around. And so I could do that. Uh, There's relationship times where we build walls. Uh, If you go down to Newport Harbor, you'll still see this house, but it doesn't look as strange as it did at one time. There's a huge house that uh, it looks like there is a wall, about a one-foot, two-foot wall, right down the center of this house. And do you know why that is? Is years ago, a guy who was very wealthy built this house, and he had two sons. And when he died, he gave it to his sons. And they hated each other so much that they decided that they would build a wall down the center of the house. They actually divided the house. There's actually like a two-foot gap through this house. And uh, back in that day, they painted it different colors so that everyone would know that they do not live in the same house. Now, that is some kind of wall. What other things? Like, how about racial walls that we build up? You know, there's people that come over from Mexico, and we've put walls up, and we have all kinds of physical barriers to that. But I'll bet you, if you ask those people, are those the hardest walls to get over if they come into the United States? Do you think they'd say yes? What wall do you think is harder for them to break into? Probably just our attitudes, right? It's just hard to break in. They're just not one of us. And we make sure uh, very often that they know that they're different, that they have certain jobs they can do, certain things we wouldn't want them to do, and so forth. And so we're good. We're good at putting up walls like that. You know who else we put up walls with very often is God. We have spiritual walls that we put up. There's things that we uh, do where we believe that Uh, God's going to be blocked off from certain parts of our life where we don't want him to see these parts of our life. There are certain things we believe about God where he's, we think, blocking us off from him. And so we sort of go around thinking that there's all kinds of walls. And what even makes this more interesting, these walls aren't annoying or anything. They don't get in your way. Um, What makes it kind of interesting is a lot of times we actually become part of the wall that blocks other people from coming to God. At times, we do that. And so today, we want to talk about walls because walls have grave consequences. The reality is if we just allow walls to go up, what what the Bible tells us is the walls actually destroy us, that they kill us. 
They do things like they make our hearts small. They make us petty. They make us push people away. They block us from one of the great commandments to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what we do is we start to lock these walls down. And uh, we want to put the tape out now at this point. You're going to start to feel some of the discomfort of having something put around you that sort of holds you in place. And this is also a way that we know you won't leave early, which is really a good thing too. Uh, Anyway, so you can just enjoy this uh, tape that is coming. But, you know, Uh, When we start to feel bound in, when we start to feel these walls around us, and maybe we put up walls because we want to feel safe, maybe we put up walls because we want things to be predictable for us, and so we just sort of lock our world into a really predictable fashion, but really what we don't realize is we're building walls the whole time. And one of the most dangerous things we do is we build walls with God again. And when we do it, the Bible says, boy, the consequences of that are dire blocking God out of our life. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. And furthermore, there's people that we live around, that we work with, that are our neighbors, that we go to school with, and they feel these walls. And one of the questions we always have to ask, are we part of the wall? Are we part of blocking people from actually coming to God? So we're going to look at a story that you have heard probably every Easter. If you're a church person, you've heard this story every Easter because we celebrate it. In fact, Palm Sunday is when we celebrate it. It's a really famous part of the story. What happened on Palm Sunday that is kind of the famous thing that happens on Palm Sunday? It was the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. And I'll tell you what, we'll move this away a little bit for now, just because it is a little annoying. And in chapter 11, we're going to see a story that's really an interesting story. And we're going to look at it from a perspective I bet you've never thought of before. So Mark chapter 11. And it goes like this. Let's read it together. It says, uh, when they brought the colt to Jesus. Okay, we're going to read this together. <laughs> okay, do you have your Bibles? And they're up, it's up, this part's up on the screen. Very cool. Okay, so let's read it together. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others... They cut in the fields. Okay, so this is called the triumphal entry. And let me ask you this question. We'll just take a vote on it. Do you think, uh, do you think that this was a highlight or a low light of Jesus' ministry? How many would vote highlight of the ministry coming in, down into Jerusalem? People are shouting Hosanna. Crowds are shouting his praise, calling for him to be the Messiah. How many of you have always understood this as this was really an exciting time for Jesus? This was very cool. Raise your hand if that's what you think. Okay, how many of you think, no, low life, he didn't like it, it was, you guys are brilliant, but okay, I'm surprised that you think that, but you're right, so let me just explain why this is the case. Okay, so he's coming down, and he's coming down, there are crowds that are around him, and most people have always thought these are crowds from Jerusalem, but here's the reality, nobody in Jerusalem really knew Jesus. Now, he had done a pretty amazing miracle just a few days earlier in a little Uh, town called Bethany, which was only three miles away from Jerusalem. Anybody know what that miracle was? It was probably the biggest one that he did. Raised Lazarus from the dead. 
And so probably news had gotten around. So people are sort of chirping around about that. But the reality is a lot of people were coming into Jerusalem because Jerusalem that week was Passover week. It was their biggest festival. People from all over Israel, really all around the world, came in to Jerusalem for Passover. So there's a lot of people from the Galilee region that had known Jesus because that's where he lived that were coming in and they'd heard about Jesus. They were excited about Jesus. They'd seen the miracles and heard the teaching. He was an amazing guy. So the crowd that really surrounded him was not so much the people that came out from Jerusalem because they still didn't know him. It was the crowd that came from Galilee. It was the crowd that probably came in from Bethany that had just seen this amazing miracle of a man after being dead for four days, being risen from the dead. And so Jesus... Uh, comes in and they start celebrating. And so as we read more about this in verse 9 of chapter 11 of Mark, it says, uh, those who were ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And uh, we sing songs about that. Uh, Do you know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save now. Isn't that an interesting thing? It means save now. In other words, I'm in huge trouble. Save me now. Save now. There's an urgency to it. It's the idea that God saves. And they're calling out to Jesus, Hosanna, save us now. Save us now. Now, what do you think that they wanted saving from? What was the thing that was foremost on the Jews' mind at this time in their history? Rome. They, how did they feel about Rome? Hated Rome. Rome had come in and oppressed them. Rome was forcing them to do things they didn't want to do. Rome was taxing them. You think taxes are bad for you? We just did taxes. All of us are like, I hate taxes. Do you know how they were taxed there? 90%. It was a poor society. 90% generally went to Rome or went to the tax gatherers. They were poverty stricken. They said, save now. The Messiah is coming, and when the Messiah comes, he's going to come in. He's going to drive the Romans out. He is going to set us up as an independent nation. We are so desperate to be independent now, to have our dignity, to be able to rule our own land, to be able to do our religion the way we want to do our religion without any interference from the Romans. And so really, their cry for a Messiah was, put the walls up. Put the walls up. Get the Romans out. Get the, uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, uh, the peoples, the nations. Get them out of our land. We don't want them. We want them out. We want the walls up. We want you know, them not to be able to come in. We don't really want to go out. We need to make the walls secure. And really, as they're shouting Hosanna, that is what's going on in their mind. They're crying out to God, but they're crying out to Jesus to do something that is so different than what he came to do. And in fact, if you've ever wondered if this was a highlight or a low light for Jesus, and if you have your Bibles, you can even just, if you want to glance over there, In Luke 19, it tells us what Jesus was doing as he came in on the triumphal entry. He was weeping. Luke 19 says he wept as he came in, as he looked at Jerusalem, as he listened to what the people were saying. To him, this was not the triumphal entry. This was an incredible tragedy. 
The people so much didn't get it. Here's what they wanted. They wanted a Messiah that would come in and not deal with any of the walls. They wanted a Messiah that would come in and just do what they wanted him to do. It's so interesting because this is such a danger. I know that this is a danger for me. I look at God and there's, I don't necessarily want God to do what he wants to do in my life. I want God to do what I want him to do in my life. And so whether it is, you know, sort of separating myself from situations that are difficult or blocking people that are bugging me or whatever it is, or it could be other things. It could be financially I need certain help in something, you know, that's going on, or I need in my career for certain things to go on, or there's a problem with my neighbors or my kids are kind of messing up and I need help with all this kind of stuff. And Jesus looks at that and he says, it isn't that that's unimportant. It isn't that I don't want to save you and help you in the practical matters of your life. But you must understand that there is something much larger. You've got a problem that's far bigger than your circumstances, than the little, not well, maybe not little, but the things that you're, you think are the most important, and Jesus says they aren't the most important. It's like this. If you were to go body surfing and you went down to the wedge... And uh, it was a red flag day, and the waves are 20 feet high. And if you've ever seen it, the way they break, it is violent. And you decide, I'm going to go out and swim, but I don't want to go out by myself because it's kind of dangerous. So you decide, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to ask for some help. And what you ask for is to put these little floaties that your kids wear when they go swimming in the pool. You say, well, just give me some floaties. I'm sure that that's all that I'll need. Just give me, you know, the, the Barney floaty and the, you know, the what, Mickey Mouse floaty. Just give me a couple of floaties and I'll be fine out there. And, uh, and somebody would look at you and just go, are you crazy? Do you have any idea what the issues are out there? What the bottom line problem is going to be? Those floaties aren't going to help you. And so often when we call out to God, save now, we're asking for floaties. We're asking for things that in the long run, they're just going to recycle. I mean, as soon as our financial problem gets fixed for this time, hey, in a few weeks, we'll have another financial problem. As soon as this relational issue gets settled, there's going to be another relational issue that comes up. And again, it's not that these are unimportant. It's not that God doesn't care. He just says there's something so much more basic that you need. And Jesus emphasizes that as he comes in. They're singing, save, or they're saying, singing, save now. And the reality is, Jesus says, you don't even know what you need to be saved from. You see, these walls are killing you. And what is even more ironic is um, when you look in your Bible and you see that it's put together in sort of a poetic way as far as how they uh, just, you know, how they format it, it's because it's a quote from the Old Testament. And this quote comes out of Psalm 118, and it is called a Passover psalm. In other words, this was a psalm that was repeated at Passover. They would read this psalm during the Passover week, which you say, well, that makes sense because it's the Passover week. But what does the Passover focus on? It it focuses on the death of an innocent lamb to take our place, to break the walls down between God and sinful human beings. And Jesus rides in, and who is the Passover lamb? And that answer would be Jesus. Good, safe guess in a church. Jesus is usually the right answer. 
uh, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And so he's coming in. The, the people have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea that they're looking at the Passover lamb. They want him to be a powerful, reigning, conquering Messiah that's going to kick the Romans out. And the reality is, he's the Passover lamb. And he's coming to take the walls down. As you continue to read in Mark's account, it says that Jesus enters Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple courts. He looks around at everything, but since it's already late, he goes back out to Bethany, about three miles away, with the twelve. He looks into the temple court. Now, I need to explain to you a little bit how the temple works. You guys are probably blocked from seeing the screen, which is annoying, I know. But walls are bad, aren't they? All right, there you go. All right, that's as good as I can do right now. So if you guys need to move, you can move. All right, so let me explain to you the temple. Now, you're looking at a reconstruction of the temple. The temple was huge. The temple was huge. It was something like 20 football fields. That's how big it is. So you're talking about, especially in an ancient world where things aren't that big, this is a huge thing. And you can see that there's a whole courtyard out, and in the middle you have... uh, kind of the more focused part of what that is. But let me explain. That whole outer courtyard is called the court of the Gentiles, the court of the nations. Uh, Ethna, which we get ethnic from, is is the court of the Ethna. And so that was the place that even if you weren't a Jew, you could go into and you could have a relationship with God and sort of do the whole temple thing. That's what that whole thing was. And then in that middle part, show the slide of the middle part, Uh, There was this area that only the Jews could go into. We're standing in the court of the women. The women could go into this part. Only men could go into that building. And as you got further into the building, uh, even Jewish men couldn't go. And now it was priests. And finally, in the back of this building was what was called the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go into one time a year because a really famous thing was inside there, the Ark of the Covenant, made famous by Indiana Jones. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant, where they thought God's presence dwelt, was in the center of the Holy of Holies. And the high priest went in one time a year. He went through this one-foot-thick veil. He'd go in and he'd do... Uh, basically give an offering for all the people. And the idea here is that that would bring the walls down between God, a holy God, and sinful people, and they for another year could have a relationship with God. That is how that temple worked. And it's very interesting. This thing was huge. It was dominant. Uh, That was 150 feet tall, 15 stories high. Again, in an ancient world, any place that you were in Jerusalem, you could always see the temple. The temple dominated uh, the landscape, dominated the skyline. And so this is the setting that Jesus comes into. And it says that he looks around and uh, just sort of observes what's going on. And then he leaves because it's late in the day. But what we know now is he sees something that's going on in there that it really, really upsets him. And in fact, they leave. They come back the next day. As they're coming back in, kind of an interesting thing happens. In Mark eleven twelve, 12, it says the next day as they were leaving Bethany. So they're leaving Bethany to come back into Jerusalem. Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree uh, uh, in leaf. He went to find out uh, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, this is really a weird thing, right? Okay, so Jesus is walking in. He's hungry. He looks at this tree. He's hoping that there might be figs, but there's not figs. Why not? 
because it's not the season. Okay, so this is not the fig tree's fault, right? Fig tree is innocent in this one. It has its leaves. It's just the, it's not time for the fruit. And Jesus looks at it and he like goes off. It's like, has Jesus cracked? What happened here? You know, the triumphal entry wasn't everything he hoped it would be. And now he's ticked off at a fig tree and he curses it. He curses it. I mean, and it says the disciples heard it. And I'm sure the disciples paid attention because they're like, man, that's not like Jesus. He usually doesn't go off on fig trees. This is really weird that he's doing this today. But here's the thing. Stay tuned because there's a reason that he goes off on the fig tree. He's actually painting a very powerful picture about walls. So they walk into the temple. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and uh, the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Uh, And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, so Jesus comes in and all of a sudden we recognize, yes, when he looked around the night before, before they went out of town, he saw something going on. And clearly what it was is it had become market day in the court of the Gentiles, in that big area that surrounded sort of the the center temple area. There was, there were literally thousands and thousands of people merchandising things Uh, because the Passover was coming. And let me just explain how this had been set up. People had to come in and sacrifice what? What was the sacrifice that they made at Passover? A lamb? They had to sacrifice a lamb. But the lamb had to be without any kind of blemish. It had to be perfect. And the problem is, if you brought your little lamb, you know, that you had raised all year in from the countryside, there was a chance it would step in a ditch or, you know, something would happen and it would not be considered unblemished. And so what they set up in the temple courts is you can buy your lambs here. You know, get your lamb here. And what you had to do, though, is you couldn't use your money. You had to exchange it for temple money, but temple money was way marked up. How many of you have ever gone to Disneyland? They say you need Disney dollars to bend, and you're like, I don't want Disney dollars. Well, here it was like twice the price. So just to exchange your money was twice the price. And then what happens at Disneyland when you have to buy their Coke? You get a good deal on that? No, it's like 12 times marked up. So these people are being literally fleeced. You know, it's like they are paying huge sums of money. There was up to 250,000 lambs that were slain on Passover. It was a huge money-making industry for the higher-ups of the Jewish leaders. And in fact, we even know that the high priest had a part of the take of what was going on. And I know that sounds super cynical and terrible and all that, but that's the way that it was. And so Jesus comes in and he looks at this and he comes in, he walks through the gate. And what do you smell when there's 250,000 lambs there? You know what you smell. What do you see? You see lambs and things and commotion and you people, you hear people arguing and vendors, you know, selling, you know, my lamb is better than, you know, Charlie's lamb and buy this lamb here and so forth. And he looks at that and he realizes, listen, this is the area for the nations to come and to meet with God. That's the purpose of the temple. The temple wasn't meant to put walls up between people and God. The temple was meant to bring the walls down. 
Israel was to be a display nation. In other words, God related with Israel to say, listen, as I love on you, you love on the world and you bring them to me. And the temple is where you bring them. And instead of being a display case for the Gentiles, the Gentiles area could not be a place of prayer. It was a marketplace. It was a place where money was being made, where business was being done. And Jesus looks at this and he just says, not on my watch. No way am I going to allow this to happen. You've taken what God wanted this to be, a place of prayer for the nations, a place of prayer for the people to come and find God. And you have put a huge wall up. You basically told them, we don't even want you here. You are a nuisance to us. We're about business. This is for us. This isn't for you. And now you start to understand the passion. And Jesus says, you've made it a den of robbers. You are robbing the people of the world from coming to God. And that's the reason that he goes off in such, such a sort of an extreme way. He's extreme because he's saying, these walls have to come down. You need to understand the purpose of the temple is not to block people out. It's to embrace them, to bring them to God. The next thing that we read uh, says in Mark eleven eighteen that the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. They heard about what Jesus had done and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And really what Jesus is doing, he knows that coming into the temple and doing something like that, that this is going to cause a huge commotion. He knows that nobody can stand on the sideline. Nobody can just say, you know, I don't really have an opinion about Jesus. It's like everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. He forces the issue. He says, you will either kill me or you will crown me, but you won't dismiss me. He pushes so hard on them that up to the very top, to the high priest, they say, we can't ignore this guy anymore. And Jesus is saying, basically, you will either bring the walls down or you will have to kill me. I'm leaving you no other option. Those walls are coming down. Goes on to say, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they're coming back into the city again, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. This is an interesting thing. Jesus in the book of Mark does 18 miracles. Up until his resurrection. This is the last one. All of his miracles have been to give health, to give life, to bring wholeness. All of them are life-giving. This is the one miracle he does that brings destruction. It sticks out. The disciples notice it. They go, oh my gosh, you curse that tree and within a day it is dead. Now why is Jesus doing that? Is he frustrated with that poor fig tree? You know, and and tree huggers hate him for this. You know, it's like, don't take it out on the tree. But here's what Jesus is saying. This is so important that you get it. And he's comparing it sandwiched in between his visit to the temple. He's making a point. The temple looks like it's, it looks like it's full of life. There's religious activity. There's thousands of people in it. All of the things that sort of go with the temple look like they're happening. But you know what they are? They're leaves 
There's no fruit there. The temple is not doing any longer what it was meant to do. It is fruitless. And Jesus says, you cannot miss this point. That's why I'm doing the fig tree thing. I don't want you to miss the point. And here's the reality that Jesus knows. Satan erects walls. It is Satan's game. It's what he wants to do. If he can block you from loving another person, that's what he's going to do. If he can block you from loving God, that's what he's going to do. He loves it when there's racism. He loves it when there's tension. He loves it when people ignore each other and don't pay attention to each other's needs. He hates it when we love our neighbors as ourselves. He hates it when we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that's in us. He hates it. Satan is building walls. Jesus is tearing them down. He is saying, you know, to his disciples, he's saying to the leadership of uh, the temple, this cannot stand. The walls have got to come down. They just have to come down. And so we read that he makes a very interesting statement after this in Mark eleven twenty-two. 22. Are you guys with me? I feel like I've been intense for a while. Do we need a little joke? Anybody have a good joke that's like clean? All right. Why did the police arrest the baseball player? Because he stole second base. All right. You probably want intensity after that, right? <laughs> you're so great. That was a, you're, you're awesome. I love that. And I didn't plan them, you know, because we would have come up with a better joke than that. Okay. <laughs> Randy, you're awesome. Okay, so now we're ready. You're ready for a little more intensity because, sorry, I get amped up. Here's the really cool thing that happens. In Mark 11:22, Jesus says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. He's making sort of a comment because they're like, whoa, he just said something to that fig tree and it died. So Jesus is going to make a point. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Okay, now, I want us to be totally honest. Pretend you're not sitting in church. Pretend I'm not a pastor. Pretend the answer to every question is not Jesus. Okay, pretend this is like real life. Let me ask you, do you think that you have enough faith to cause Saddleback Mountain to come off the top and to be thrown into the Pacific Ocean? Do you really believe that it's just a matter of faith? And if you had enough faith, You could literally do that. Now, the way I'm saying that, I don't want you to raise your hand if you think you can. Okay, you've got other kinds of problems. All right, here's the thing. Lots of times Jesus speaks in hyperbole, right? He does not literally mean that. He's making a statement about how important faith is, and that faith really does make a huge, huge difference. But here's what's interesting about this. This is not hyperbole. And you're saying, so does he really think you could throw a mountain into the sea? No, here's here's what you need to know. The temple was up on a mountain. It's called the the, um, Temple Mount. And Jesus is clearly looking at the Temple Mount as he says this about the fig tree. And he might even point to it and he says, you know, if you had enough faith, you could take everything that the temple is about, everything that since you've been just a little tiny guy and you've learned about the temple and the importance of it and the centrality of it. And here's here's what you need to realize. If you had enough faith in me, you would understand that the temple is not it anymore. It can be destroyed. It can be picked up and thrown into the ocean. It is not the way God is going to connect with his people anymore. Because here's what Jesus would say. 
there is a new temple. And who is that temple? And the answer to every question in church is Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there real quick. If not, uh, just listen. Jesus answered one time, talking about the temple, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. What's Jesus saying? The old temple is out. The new temple is in. The temple is me. What does the temple do? The temple connects people to God. Okay, let's try that again. The temple connects people to God. This temple doesn't do it anymore. This temple is actually blocking people from coming to God. Jesus says it's obsolete. There is a new temple. There is a new way that people will be connected to God. And Jesus says, that's me. I am the new temple. In fact, he even predicts that within years, this temple is going to be ripped down and torn apart. And we know in AD 70, that's exactly what happened. The temple was wiped out and destroyed. But Jesus said, we don't need that temple because I am the temple. I am the temple now. Later that week, Jesus will be betrayed, he'll be arrested, he'll be tried, and he'll be killed. And in John's gospel, it will will bend over backwards to paint the picture that Jesus is the Passover lamb. With his sacrifice, once and for all, people are connected to God. Let me tell you how earnest Jesus is about bringing walls down. He was willing to die for it. He was not only willing to die for it, he was willing to be tortured for it. He was willing to literally go to hell for you so that you wouldn't go. That is how much Jesus wants the walls to come down. So I have a question for you. Has the wall come down between you and God? And that's what Jesus was all about. That's what his sacrifice was all about. Bring the walls down. Nothing blocks. Maybe you're sitting there and you feel so guilty about something in your life or you feel so guilty maybe just about things in general that you think, God could never really love me. I really don't think God could love me. In fact, when I picture God, I I sort of picture him as this really angry judge or policeman or something that's just so disappointed with who I am and what I've done. And what Jesus says is, that's the reason I died, is so that there'd not be that wall. There's no reason for that wall to be there. For some of us, it has to do with just our busyness. Our lives are so busy that we keep on thinking, I'll get to the religious thing, I'll get to the spiritual thing, I'll get to the Jesus thing. Yes, I want to do it. I know it's important. As soon as I close the steel, as soon as my kids get a little older, as soon as you know, I can put my life together, I'll, I'll focus. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand? That's a wall that I brought down. I don't want you to wait. Right now is the time. Right now is the time. Do you still have a wall between you and Jesus? You know, today's the day to say that wall comes down. Jesus died to bring that wall down. I don't want to keep that wall up. 
He doesn't want that wallet. In a minute, I'm going to pray. If that's where you are, I'm going to pray for you. And you can pray sort of silently along, and we'll just pray that we take down the wall now that Jesus already brought down. There's no reason to be blocked off from him. But here's the last thing that I want to say. One of the things that disappointed Jesus so much is that the people that were supposed to bring the love of God to the world had failed to do it. In fact, they were erecting walls trying to keep people out. And do you know that today we are the people that bring the love to this world? When you think about people you work with, maybe their lives are kind of messed up, or you think about family members that really don't quite have it together, or you just think about people, they kind of have it together, but there's no spiritual part of your life, and you wonder, is God even working in their life? Is God even there? I want to tell you right now, I can absolutely tell you that God is working in their life. And you know why? Because you're in their life. Because he placed you as the person they work alongside of as the person they go to school with. They put you, God put you there because he said, I know you can bring the walls down. If you'll stand for me, if you'll, if you'll represent me, if when appropriate you'll invite or you'll, you'll share something, you're the one that brings the walls down. It's always been the purpose of the people of God to bring the walls down and to invite other people in. That's your mission. That's my mission. That's what we do. And sometimes we do it well and sometimes we don't. I play basketball with these guys. I tell you about it all the time. And I sit there and, you know, I'm, when they're talking and lots of times their talk is sort of filthy and their jokes are really funny, but they're really dirty. The kind of jokes Randy would not tell in church. Uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I need an opening. I need an opening to share something. And I'm going back and forth and I don't want to force them. I know exactly how it feels to be that way and to wonder, you know, God, you've placed me here. I want to do something. God has placed you. God's placed me. There are times where we need to step in and lean in. And there's times to say things. And there are times just to love in unreasonable ways toward these people. But it makes a huge difference. And this is, our, this is the best week of the whole year in some ways to do it because people are open. They're open to coming to church in a time when they might not normally. Easter is when people come. And so whether this is the week you finally invite them or you just continue to build the bridges or you make a new bridge with someone, that is our mission. We are the ones that bring the walls down. Now, as you've seen, we put this tape around, and that's because I didn't want you guys to leave early, so, um, and so that tape will stay up for a while. But you're going to have to go through that tape to get out, okay? And when you go through it, I want you to break it off, break off a little piece, and it will remind you that you are a barrier breaker. That's your mission. You break barriers. If you have barriers with God, you break them down. If other people do, you come in because God's working in the people around you through you. You're the one that he does it with. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to spend a little time worshiping. Let let me pray for us that we really understand this whole wall coming down. Imagine what kind of church we are when we break the walls down. Lord, thank you so much for breaking the walls down. Jesus, thank you that you were extreme when you came. You made sure we didn't miss the message, that you break walls down. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that feels right now that there's a wall between you and him or you and her. 
And I pray right now that they would have this sense that you took that wall down, whether it's guilt or busyness, uh, whether it's misunderstanding, and that they would embrace you today. Say, that wall is no more. Jesus, you died to bring that wall down. Thank you so much. And this week, I pray, Lord, that we would go out in power. We'd go out in confidence. We'd realize you've placed us intentionally into relationships so that we could love people and help them bring their walls down when it comes to you. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness in this, as we have talked about a lot. I pray that people would say yes, that you'd go before us, and they'd say yes, whether it's just to hearing our story or coming to church, that they would say yes. I pray next week we'd have a whole group of people here that maybe for the first time understand the invitation that you're giving. So, Lord, we put that in your hands, but help us to be diligent in our part. And we thank you so much for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.